Hey everybody, today's show with the great Mitch Perry is brought to you by Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com. Guitar Player. Play better. Sound better. No guitar is safe. What's up, everybody? You're hearing a track called Beck and Call off of Mitch's album, Mitch Perry's record, Wire to Wire. Great tone. Now he's playing it for you. We are going to hang. We are hanging at Mitch's beautiful house near the ocean in Southern California. If for some reason you don't know Mitch Perry, he has worked with so many great acts from the Michael Shanker Group, Billy Sheehan, Talis, Quiet Riot, a.k.a. Dubrow, and believe it or not, Cher and Sam Kinison. And today he's playing a lot with the sweet... And we're going to find out all kinds of cool stuff about Mitch. <laughs> we're even going to find out why he is glad that YouTube was not around back when he was playing with Cher. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Mitch. Thank you, man. It's, it's great to be here. Also, a quick shout out to Matt Blackett, who really oh. first made me aware of you. Matt Blackett from Guitar Player but, Magazine. He, he, great guy. What are you spraying on your guitar there? Finger sleeves. Finger sleeves, otherwise known as fingeries. How, yeah. how long have you been using that stuff? Shit, since <laughs> I was about 17. It's yeah. a bad habit. Is it? Why? Well, once you, uh, once you uh, use it, you're addicted. It sucks playing without it. Right, let me try some, man. I haven't tried that uh, in dude, a million no, years. No, I'm not going to be responsible for your first hit. <laughs> the first hit is free, right? Exactly. So I, I, I can sell you cans now. Oh, yeah? <laughs> So, where do you start, right here, about six inches away? Yeah, oh, wherever. I mean, shit, if it was up to me, I'd just have a vat of the shit, and I'd dip the neck. What is, what's in it? It's like... It's silicone <laughs> spray. It just, it makes going up yeah. and down the neck a lot easier. Right. I think you're slippery enough. <laughs> Everybody wants to play that one. <laughs> but you gotta play the solo. Okay, I don't know it. <laughs> I, I don't know it. Thank you. 
you're hired. <laughs> you and Jay. Jay Gore was on a, on recently, and uh, he played the solo too. He loves oh. that. Everyone loves that song. Oh, <laughs> <It's> cool. <laughs> I remember, I think I was telling you, I, I, I played the uh, whiskey for the first time in in uh, December of 1980, and Craig was at that show. And Craig we Chiquiso. Yeah, we were just going on about guitars and guitar tone, because he was tripping on uh, the MXR 10-band graphic EQ I used to use. Yeah, so you are just running that straight into the amp? Yeah, oh yeah, just, yeah, and I'd, I'd basically make a triangle and put all this mid on the guitar, but it sounded really, uh, really cool. Man, you always have such a great tone, and uh, it was fun talking with you the other night about, like, Modern Times and the other Craig Chiquiso stuff were those really great tones. Yeah. Then, underrated albums, incredibly yeah. well-produced. Brilliant, too. brilliantly <laughs> recorded records. It was fun playing that tune, um... A bunch of tunes with you the other night at the whiskey, including when you were kind of stretching out a little bit and being loose on uh, "Give Me All Your Loves." That's yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, was fun, was man. Um, you know, I mean, that, that's the way I like to play. Just where, where you just.
man. You got no shortage of ideas, Mitch. Incredible. I love it. Just watch you play all day. Oh, thanks, man. Oh, gosh. You know, it's funny. Uh, it's fun playing with you at the at the whiskey, too, because you know what the ultimate, this is my opinion, the ultimate compliment one guitar player can pay another guitar player is not like, wow, amazing show, or wow, man, I love your playing so much that I sat up for three hours trying to learn that solo that you did on that song or whatever. The ultimate compliment is, dude, you sound so good, I went out and bought the same piece of gear that you were using. <laughs> and when I watch you play that Les Paul with P90s, I'm just like, God, I gotta get me one of them. So tell, tell me about this guitar you're playing today. Well, you know, it's dumb luck, actually. Um, I bought this guitar right when I first started learning how to play. Yeah, I didn't know any better. I, I actually had one for a little while before it. I got a Les Paul Artisan, which was a really fancy one. That was my first mm -hmm. real guitar. And I got it because it was the most expensive one on the wall. You know, quickly learned that that has nothing to do with whether a guitar is good or not. And, and where, where did you buy it? Where were you living? Uh, I was living in Florida, and I got it at Modern Music. And the and the thing would always, uh, it would always feed back. And so I went back and traded it in for this and a Music Man uh, combo. And awesome. I, I you know, I this has become my favorite guitar I've, I've, I mean not from back then I, I all through the 80s I played the Guild Blade Runners the Charvels and you know the yep. DC Riches you know and all those guys were really really cool to me I mean Grover really yep. was a big help at the beginning of my career Grover, uh, Grover Jackson. Jackson and uh, you know Bernie Rico was also a really really good friend as well as you know a I mean as you know everyone is but it's for bc rich yeah yes. you know Ber bernie also helped me uh get off the ground with my racing you know uh, he, he i i won a scholarship in uh in 93 and it paid for half a year of racing and bernie helped uh cover the other half that's a whole nutty thing we got to touch on you and these race yeah. cars oh yeah no, that's good stuff <laughs> that's good stuff so but what so what year is your guitar there okay this is a 77 uh and i bought it off the uh wall in march of 78 mm. wow. so every uh blemish every mark on it so i'll, I'll definitely put a picture my... up online on like you know on the no guitar is safe facebook or on, on my personal <laughs> twitter or whatever because i love guitars that are warning like you got that huge like canyon dug out beneath the strings where you've been hitting it over it, it kind of explains why they do put pick guards there that's right you have no pick guard on there it wasn't just decoration yes <laughs> yeah i have a great picture of me uh playing this guitar on stage at the starwood with kevin dubrow in, in 1980 august of 1980 i think it was the first or second gig he ever did without Randy Rhodes. You know, it wasn't called Quiet Riot, it was called Dubrow, but right. there is not a blemish on this guitar, or me for that matter. Um, <laughs> You're, you've both ago. been a little bit, what do they call, a little distressed? Road -worn. <laughs> yeah, road-worn. <laughs> What's that other word they always use? You, a little bit relict. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, those are the original P90s? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This guitar is 100% original except for this tuning peg which i've yeah. left on it as a reminder not to be a, a drunk asshole this is a funny story um in 1982 i was playing in a band called code blue uh randy castillo is a drummer and 
We were doing a Southern California run, and there was a band opening up for us doing their first six shows ever, and it was called Missing Persons. Wow. Yeah, and and so you had Warren really just playing amazing, and I had a shit show, and at the end of the show, this is like in one of the shows, I just threw the guitar up in the air and didn't bother catching it. <laughs> Your baby? Yeah, well, you know, I was. it wasn't around long enough for me to even appreciate it at that time. Right. And like I said, I... So what, think, what was the emotional headspace that... Well, you, well, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't even thinking, this is why you don't drink, you know, and... and do stupid things like that anymore but uh are you a retired drinker oh uh, yeah for a while yeah 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 uh, you know that's uh, all that uh, happens uh, uh, well this is i picked the guitar up afterwards and went wow that was really dumb but you know apart from it being a little bit out of tune on the g string it was fine i think what you witnessed was a miracle like at the end of pulp fiction when they <laughs> they get sprayed with yeah. bullets and then they all yeah, hit right. the wall behind them <laughs> that's what you witnessed guardian because that the neck didn't snap the headstock didn't break off yeah, no and but what's funny is the next day we had a gig and i forget where the place what it was called but it was right around the corner from where performance guitar used to be we got the sound check and i went to tune the e string and that <laughs> thing was just revolving around that there was a casualty yeah. so performance guitar was open a block away went over and put this this was the closest thing to a tuning right. peg and that's a wow i've never matched it since i figured that that had to stay there to remind me <laughs> not to be such an idiot next time oh wow what a great story man yeah i'm glad that the damage was not worse yeah so you, you and me both what inspired you to pick up a guitar mitch like where are you living in florida is that where you grew up no i, I was actually I, I was born in new york my dad raced cars hence the interest of racing cars is that like his profession or yeah it was back in the 60s yeah right. i mean you know when i was a kid i grew up and you know he was racing trans am and you know in the continental series and you know, I mean, we were racing against guys like Mark Donahue and Peter Revson and Dan Gurney. And I've seen, you know, you have pictures of these cars on your wall. Some of them are like IndyCar style almost. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, all, all, it was all open wheel stuff uh, in 68 and 69 for him. And, wow. Now, like yeah. a, a top of the line Camaro can do, can take a turn at like 1.05 Gs or something, right? I, I, I'll give you, I mean, the cars that I started racing in. When we were running at Laguna Seca, you would do a lap. The The fastest maybe top speed you would touch is uh, 130. Yeah. With the turns. And, well, <laughs> on the same track, the fastest race-tuned production street Porsche will do 180 where we're doing 130, but we'll still get around that track. 10 seconds faster than him Dang. and that's because he's breaking a light year before we ever do for the turns and we're flying through those turns you know that's just nutty. pulling serious <laughs> g's and and the porsche won't stay on the road you know there's just too much weight you know and our cars are you know 1500 pounds you know. and the wheels are just out on every yeah. corner oh yeah <laughs> that's nuts yeah. What about, what if someone who likes to drive a nice car once in a while, or maybe they even have a, a good sports car or something, but what's, what are they going to be most surprised by when they hop behind the wheel of one of these monster cars for the first time? Well, well it depends. What do you, I mean, 
you like, know, it, has, have you ever put someone in one of those open wheel? Oh, yeah. I mean, I used to, I, well, the open wheel cars, they, they have schools that, yeah. you know, I mean, they're, you know, when you get into formula Ford or any of, you know, any of the beginning classes, the, the cars aren't so powerful that they'll, you know, they'll scare you back, you know, out. Right. But what they do is, is they are twitchy and they're hard to drive. I mean, a car that's not hard to drive is slow. It's got to be on the edge. You know, same thing as a guitar. You, you know, when when you want it to perform the best, it's not the easiest. You know, the easiest way to set up a guitar is you know use light strings and lay you know lay them on the neck, and yeah. you don't have to put any effort. But you're not going to get you know the ability to play with all the dynamics you do when you put heavy strings on. And, yeah, same know. with like if you have really fat humbuckers, it kind of makes it easy to get a lot of signal, but... Exactly. That's what I love about your sound on that guitar. Now we're jumping back to guitars here. But like when you pull the volume knob, we're just playing at the whiskey. You know, the whiskey has this great jam every Tuesday night. And they call it a jam, but it's extremely organized and well-presented. And everyone shows up really knowing their parts. And you're the house guitarist. And everyone comes through there. And it was so much fun sound, sound checking with you the other night because I'd hear you, I'd really hear that guitar and hear your fingers on the strings. When you pull back the volume, you're getting these super kind of funky, mm -hmm. almost Telecaster tones out of that Les Paul, which I don't know if you could get out of humbuckers. Yeah, no, you can't. Um, I mean, at least I haven't yet. You know, I mean, I, I, I've had a multitude of Les Pauls that I've had as second guitars and they come and they go because I found nothing that does what this does for me. I, don't know, I know we're just playing, you're playing through a little Fender practice amp that has some high gain settings, but maybe we could hear like some halfway, half volume stuff on your P90s there. Well, let's see if I can. Like, that's what I love. Like when you have the high gain sound, but then you pull it back and you get these great. wonderful that is beautiful putting that putting that three-way switch to work right there I love that too. You back to the White Snake stuff. We did the other one uh, in the still of the night, and you seem like you have that on the record. Like the lead is kind of buried in verb and huge yeah. stuff. You seem like you had his pattern all like dialed. Well, it's basically that. It's an E minor scale. Um. so much homework so what so back to the story what made you pick up guitar oh 
Well, we, we moved to England in 1971. School was about a half a block from me. My mom played a little folk guitar, was always trying to get me to uh, learn some chords, and I never had much interest. And I mean, I always liked music, and I always, you know, but I was going to be a race car driver, so unless it was involving race cars, I had no interest in anything back then. And then... Uh, I got interested in Ann Roberts, and she liked this kid playing guitar, so I ran ran home, asked Mom to show me the chords, and the rest is history. Ann Roberts was your classmate or something? Yeah, yeah. Wait, am I supposed to know who Ann Roberts is? No, no, oh, no, okay. Just, okay. just some girl. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so that was instant motivation, and you, yeah. I, I must agree that I can't imagine anything more exciting than a great night playing guitar. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, once I start, I mean, it's funny, because... At that point, I learned the chords, but there was a show on TV called uh, Top of the Pops at the time. Sure. And funnily enough, I used to see Sweet back then and go, what the hell are those? Uh, now <laughs> you're playing with them. That's amazing. Okay, yeah, so yeah. yeah. So what but, uh, but anyway, um, I remember the song, too. Uh, 10CC was on doing Rubber Bullets, and I started, you know, I could find the notes and jam along, even though I really didn't know how to play, you know. I don't even remember the song now, but, you know, I like it. Is it? Yeah. And I was able to get on, you know, basically and right. do what, you know, I was just doing there with the song. And... Got a songbook of the Beatles and started teaching myself, and just pretty much everything stopped. Uh, right, it, it just kind of uh, ate everything else up. In in retrospect, I remember walking, you know, to the train station in England, going to school, and I remember singing guitar solos in my head, even though I didn't play guitar solos. I remember making them up in my head. Um, I, I mean, I, I can vividly remember, you know, just like it, like it was yesterday, I remember walking through Parsons Green on the way, you know, to school and, and playing Oh Darling and doing these guitar solos in my head, even though I didn't play guitar. I, could, I couldn't yeah. have played you what I was singing in my head back then. So I think, right. I think I've always had an affinity, you know, for hearing solos and stuff, but... What what really stuck out to me at the beginning were signature solos. I mean, I remember learning, you know, the solo to Stairway to Heaven. You know, everyone, you know, I yeah, I know it's a joke. Everyone's first song is Stairway to Heaven. But that solo is brilliant. It's brilliant. It's, it, one, it, yeah. it's absolute. There's not a wasted note. That, you know, it's not just playing scales. You, you, the timing and the phrasing, you know, I mean... And I think that's a Telecaster. Sounds like it to it me. It does. It, it doesn't... <laughs> I don't think he was using the Pauls on the... Uh, yeah. I mean... Can you it, still play it? I probably. I don't know. I haven't done... No. Okay. One, two, two, three, four. Thank you. 
<laughs> so, okay, we don't have a no stairway to heaven rule on this show, quite obviously. Yeah, hey, I still remember that. How it's fun. in there, man. You've got the ears and the fingers that it's always connected. And uh, I love that you mentioned Oh Darling, too, because like on your song Beckoned Call, like there's that's like a 12-8 vibe, right? Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I, I, I love you, swinging oh, stuff. Yeah, I love that. Tell us about that song. It's on your album, Wire to Wire, Beck and Call. How, yeah, how, what were you playing through on that? Used an amp on a lot of that record called a... It was a Wilkinson. Uh, Trevor Wilkinson, who used to make the bridges for Kayla. He still makes his own now, right? Wilkinson yeah. bridges. Those are, yep. those are very he's popular. Still, no, he, he had a prototype for a head that... For, you know, a combo amp. It was really great. And... Uh, I use that for a lot of the clean stuff, you know, definitely at the beginning. Um just really into Beck and that's why I called it your Beck and Call. Oh, I get it now. Yeah, yeah, I did that for it's that dope. for more than I can say, which was my tip of the hat to Gary Moore, who's yeah. my favorite. Yeah. Is he one of your favorites? Yeah, without a doubt. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, you know, and before, I, I mean, I remember somebody played me his shit from, uh, oh. Back on the streets, thank you, right, cool. man. Back on the streets is '78, and it, it's got a lot of fusion stuff. Simon Wright's the drummer on it. It's, it's off the hook. I, wow. You gotta got play. It. You gotta check that record out. And, yeah. and I mean, I got it in '78. It's funny because how I got ended up getting out here. Pat Thrall used to see me play in Florida, and he got me my first gig. But Pat was friends with Gary back then, and I was a huge Gary Moore nut. And, I remember one day he was on the phone to Gary and I was playing, I still got the blues over the phone so Gary could hear it. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> uh, you know, that long ago is, or not still got the blues because he hadn't done that, uh, Parisian Walkways, which was, right. a, which was uh, the same kind of I was about to say, still got the blues is like much later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know what, you know what I miss about old school landline telephones is that you can really hear a guitar next to it. Like the oh, yeah, cell phones he, are dialed it, to doesn't work now. Kill all the noise as possible. Yeah. yeah so no. how did you end up coming out to Florida? Well, okay, when my dad quit racing, we moved to Florida. Yeah. And at that point, that's where I really got serious about playing guitar. Started a band called The Kids. And funnily enough, the guy I started it with, Bruce Whitkin, you know, kept the band going, obviously, after I quit and got a guitar player named Johnny Depp. And the two of them still play together yeah, in yeah. the Hollywood Vampires. So, yeah, me and Bruce started that band when we were 14 and 15. That's nuts. I yeah. heard that guy dabbles in acting, too. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I did that. And, and, you know, Bruce's mother was uh, pretty much um, 
the, you know, the most powerful agent in South Florida if you wanted to play rock clubs. And she managed a band called Tight Squeeze, a guitar player. Kaz went on to join the Romantics and wrote Talking in Your Sleep. Anyway, we all shared this house. You know, we all lived in this house, uh, you know, that basically had music going 24-7. It was an awesome, uh, awesome way to to uh, grow up. I so mean, how old were you then? Like early 20s? From, you know, when I was 16, I moved out of my house and, and basically spent all my time playing with the bands. And That's pretty young to move yeah, out of your house. No, what, I, I how mean, did that go I, down? I, I mean, my parents were, you know, their, their take on it was do whatever you want, make sure you have a diploma. So I got my GED when I was 16 and, you know, That's I was allowed to do what I wanted, you know, and... Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, I, it's such a blessing I, to know what you want to do. Yeah, no, I, well, but you know, it's funny. I didn't have a career plan. I just knew I liked okay. not having a job and playing <laughs> in a band and it was fun. And, you know, then Pat Thrall and I became friends and I started seeing that there was more. And, you know, Pat hooked me up a couple of auditions at the end of 1979, one being with Alfonso Johnson and, Alfonso flew me out, and I was recording with him and Vinny Apice, who was amazing. You know, yeah, I know. Before I'd ever even recorded myself on a cassette player, and, and then the funny thing is, when that project fell apart, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. You know, I didn't know anyone out here because I basically didn't do any networking when I first moved out here. I just, you know worked on the record the record was a casualty of an A&R department getting fired at Electra I mean the entire department was let go so it never came out and never came out I knew I didn't want to go back to Florida. The only so where per- were you living? I was living in Hollywood. I, with I, some I, yeah, I was I was at the Oakwoods in Barham on Barham oh. Boulevard. And so anyway, um yeah, I basically uh, went to the guitar center, talked to the kid that I'd bought my gear from when I'd come out here. And uh, he goes, you should join Quiet Riot. I go, who? He goes, well, man, they're, they're bigger than Van Halen. Their guitar player just left to play with the singer from uh, from uh, Black Sabbath. No I'm like, shit. Yeah, why do you want to do that? No. Um, no. Uh, and so literally he calls up Rudy Sarzo from the Guitar Center. And Rudy had quit the band to join Angel at that time. But since he was from Florida, we talked and we knew a few people, you know, in common. So I guess I was okay. He gave me Kevin's number. I called Kevin up, brought him the acetate that I had, you know, had of the record I'd just recorded with Alfonso. You even remember what those were? You know, I honestly... An acetate was a test pressing. You know, they yeah. they it was like a... One, it was only one side that played, and it was to hear how the album actually sounded sonically through a needle. Through a needle, and, and it was only good for about ten plays. It was not, you know, very long. <laughs> so, like, you know, this was the uh, result of my acetate. I didn't get the album released, but I got a Quiet Riot gig, which was called Dubrow. And that's how that happens. That's so. so cool. First of all, that is the best Guitar Center story I've ever heard. Yeah. Props to that dude. So what was Kevin DeBrow like? Rest in peace. Singer of Quiet Riot. What a, what a riot he was. He, he, was absolutely conti- he was absolutely consistent. I mean, Kevin was just the same when I met him the very first day as 
he was in real life. You know, he he could offend people pretty easily, but you know, he was he knew what he wanted. He he was pretty secure in in the belief that his ideas were the best, and you know, he you know, hey, he he did pretty uh, pretty good for himself. So ten million copies of that yeah, first album. No, you know, it's it, you know, our more friend power Chuck writes on there. Absolutely. Wow. So you must have, did you do some touring with them and stuff? And I No, I didn't do any touring. I actually only did that gig. And it was funny because there was another guitar player on that, Greg, Greg Leon from uh, Sweet 19. And, and he was a really good guitar player and a really great guy. And I actually became better friends with him than anyone else in the band. And Kevin... Didn't you know? Had something to, that he didn't like about Greg, and decided he was going to fire Greg. And I was kind of friends with Greg, and I didn't feel good about that. And Glenn Hughes had just asked me to play with him, so I went Glenn Hughes or Kevin Dubro at that time. You know, I I obviously went with Glenn, um, but nothing really. You know, we worked on some demos with a great lineup uh norma jean bell you know basically it was tommy boland's band it was like Jim, jimmy haslett played bass norma jean bell played sax uh mark craney played drums i mean it was like really really good people uh max yeah. gronenthal was on the keyboards and they're all the guys who were you know playing with tommy back then and Glenn sang, and unfortunately, nothing ever came of that. I saw Glenn, and he said that he was thinking about putting a compilation out and including one of the tracks from that, but I've never actually heard if it happened. Man, playing with these amazing singers and performers. And yeah. Alfonso Johnson, Weather Report, legendary bass player. Yeah. And you have this pattern of like following in the footsteps and being right there with some really great players like Steeler. That, that's funny. I uh, came through, you know, knowing Tommy Aldridge because, you know, of yeah. Pat Travers. Uh, Tommy had a friend, a drummer friend from Texas named Mark Edwards, who changed his name to Mark Scott. And basically, uh, Tommy gave him my number when he moved out to L.A. We became friends. He stayed on my couch for a little bit. And then moved into the Steeler Mansion and was playing with Steeler. And I, funnily enough, I remember when Did they you got... you say the Steeler Mansion? Yeah, oh, the, the Steeler Mansion was uh, this rundown building uh, on Washington, just uh, a couple of blocks east of La Brea. It, nowhere you would ever want to be at any time. But, I mean, <laughs> you know, Steeler lived there, you know, back in 82 and 83, I think... 84 and then they uh, gave the place to uh, the guys from rat who lived there for Man, a, if those a while. walls could talk oh believe me <laughs> <laughs> but anyway um you know so Steeler at that time hat was all guys from nashville who came out from you know with ron and then when they got ingve i remember i ran into mark and and ingve and ron at Barney's Beanery, like the night he got into town, and you know he quickly. The night Ingve got into town. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so met him, and you know they they went on their way and started. You know, I mean Ingve blew everyone away, and at the time I had a band with Randy Castillo, and the singer uh, was Ralph Mormon from the Joe Perry Project. He did you know let the music do the talking. Great singer and. You know, obviously, I loved playing drums with, or I loved playing music with uh, Randy on the drums, and it was a great band. But 
we couldn't get arrested. And Steeler was right. selling out four nights at the country club. And uh, when Ingve quit, they asked if I'd, you know, replace him. So did you yeah, uh, did you watch Ingve play back then? I I actually mm. didn't see him, I, but you know, I mean, yeah, I, you know, I, I obviously heard all this stuff, and yeah, I mean, Ingve is a, a brilliant, brilliant guitar player. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I I'm not sure I love his taste in music, but. I can tell you, I sat down and played with him. I mean, there was a really cool party one one night. Me and Michael Schenker and Ingve were all sitting around jamming. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's just funny to watch. Yeah, Ingve blew me away. I mean, he he could play Hendrix like it was Hendrix. He could play Stevie Ray Vaughan like it's Stevie Ray Vaughan. He just doesn't yeah. do these things, but he's that good yeah and he's a single coil guy he's yeah i love that yeah single coil club today (laughs) what was your takeaway after you sat down with ingve anything like after you play with him in person did anything jump out to you like i watch you i see all kinds of stuff just the way you hold your pick at a certain angle yeah you know not i mean just that he had a ton more versatility than i you know, would have given given him credit for because he doesn't show, choose to show it all the time. You know, but he's right. Yeah, you know, he he can do whatever he wants on the guitar. You know, yeah. he chooses to do what he does. So yeah, I've heard that. I mean, I think he has said that before. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, well, then, then he ain't lying. That's what I thought. So you've so much stuff happened along the way. Let, let me tell you, you know, just a small world, you know, thing. One of my best friends growing up in Florida playing wise was a bass player named wally voss who you know through no real you know no ties of mine ended up playing with ingve in the 80s you know ingve uh, was down in florida and fired his bass player and they were trying to figure out what to do at soundcheck and one of it was happened to be in hollywood florida they were playing the sportatorium and one of the uh, local techs was a tech for Wally's band and did a sales job that got Wally down to that sound check and into the band that day. That's nuts. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, Wally is one of the most amazing bass players you'll ever hear. I mean, there's stuff on YouTube of him. Leave yeah. to Ingvay to fire his bass player like right before sound check. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, they only come to hear the guitar anyway. Yeah, that's that. That is the most entertaining part of an Ingve concert. I mean, aside from the spectacular guitar playing, which I recommend anybody see, is to see a lead singer up there who's really has no more role on stage than like the bass player. <laughs> he goes up there, sings a little bit, then he stands to the side, and it's all guitar. Yeah, it's just like a token singer. <laughs> I want that gig. Oh wait, no, <laughs> uh, that's, that's amazing. Well, it's, it's kind of like the Bonzo Bash. You see, they put the singer off to the off right. to the side there. And Nam every year, and they yeah. put drum set up front, huh? Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. I've never actually as it been... should be, right? <laughs> well, what came next for you? Maybe Billy Sheehan? And... Oh yeah, well actually that that did. I mean, I, I helped out. Uh, I I did a little bit with Willie Bass uh, in Black Sheep, and then the funny thing about that is while I was doing that John Sutherland who had seen me and we'd become friends you had a Steeler gig told Billy about me and so I'm playing with Willie and then I get asked by Billy to come to Buffalo and join Talus and and so I uh I did 
And, and, cool. and the funny thing is, I think uh, the guitar players who followed me into Black Sheep were like Paul Gilbert and Slash. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, it had a good collection of guitar players for a while. And then uh, I was playing in Talos and did the live speed on Ice Record. We did that when I'd been in the band a total of nine days. Not nine days, but the ninth Ninth show. show, The ninth show we ever played was, and, and, you know, obviously this was in 83. It was in November of 83 or December of 83 that we recorded it. And, you know, there's no such thing as Pro Tools. You know, what you see is what you get, you know. Did you pick up some uh, any two-handed stuff? I played a lot with Billy. You know, I went all around the country with him and to Eastern Asia. Southeast Asia. Then you know how amazing he is. Um, you know, I, of course, I, I picked up a lot. Um, you, you can't stand there and see that and not want to yeah. go, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, he, well, I remember um, once he told me, like, you know, he'd be playing with Vi or something, and his job would be to play, like, like one note yeah. over for, like, five minutes and he would just find every possible way over the neck every possible way to play that one note and do his job but keep it interesting and yeah. fun That's what well you know um it's funny because i learned how to tap before van halen came out but i didn't appreciate what i'd learned somebody showed me this trick back in like 1975 and and so i'm sitting there trying to go Yeah, I go. Yeah. Why would you want to do that when you can go? Yeah. So I never thought about it, and then when Van, you know Van Halen came out, and I'm trying to work out eruption. That's a lot of work, right? There. And then all of a sudden, there's no way to get to it. And it comes to me. Yeah. So I started tapping um, before most of the local kids did and that became my little shtick and pat thrall when he was you know hooking me up my gigs because you know because you want to lose that tapping stuff you're going to sound just like everybody else in la and i kind of agreed with him and stopped doing it um right up until i joined talus and then billy just was taking you know the tapping right. to another level on how he did it, you know. So obviously, mm-hmm. you know, without you know stealing his licks, you know, verbatim, you know. I mean, I I'd, I'd sit there and try and emulate what you know I saw him doing. Were there any approaches that he did that you remember that you like? Hey, that's cool. Um, I mean, just pretty much every. I mean, there's that bass solo he does. You know, right. I mean, I, I I couldn't play it now, but I, I remember learning that stuff yeah. just to you know try and figure out a lot of a lot of stuff he did. But you know, get tapping on two different strings. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. You know, if I may, I'd like to bring up a song. Niagara, which of course uh, it might be a nod to Buffalo, Niagara, and I don't know yeah, Billy yeah, and Talis. It, 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 it sounded like uh, waterfalls to me, and that's one guitar and one bass. It's Tony Franklin playing yeah. fretless bass, but that's that, the Tony. That's Franklin. tuned to open G, but you know yeah. it's a figure. Um, it's a figure like this.
I love that you mess around with open tunings. Oh, I, I love open tunings. I mean, you know, the Zeppelin was my first favorite band, and the Rain song was a life changer for me. And yeah, so I, I got into all that stuff. And, and growing up in Florida, I was there's a ton of Southern rock, and Open G was a, a huge thing in that stuff. You know, you, you don't learn the Stones without being into Open G either. Sometimes it takes guitar players a while to... There, there's a lot of fear of open tunings because all your fancy scales and three-note things are going to kind of go out the window yeah, to a degree. And, and that's the beautiful thing about it. You know, somebody asked me once, like, how do you decide what, you know, mode you're going to solo? And I look at them, and I'm like, you don't. You, you hear it, and you sing. And I go, which brings up a point. And these modes and these scales are not to tell you what to play. They're not the oh, yeah. rule book and you go, I'll pick this play. I'll pick. They are ways to discuss what you played after you Absolutely. played it. I always tell people, I think they're like training wheels on a bike or something. Like once you learn how to ride the bike, you'll never think about those training wheels ever again. Exactly. Yeah. So, shit. Now, your adventure continues, correct? I don't know what's next. Is it oh, heaven? Well, let's see. Yeah, man, you did your homework. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it's funny. I, you know, I got a call from Alan Fryer and they had a, they just signed with Lieber and Krebs management and we're going to do a third record for CBS. They'd had a bunch of video airplay on, uh, on MTV with rock school and their stuff. And Alan's voice was phenomenal. And, uh, we, we kind of, uh, you know, I ended up meeting up with him out in LA and, uh, we came back to New York and, when we finalized everything with Lieber and Krebs, we ended up getting a couple of new members, and and that became knocking, you know, the knocking on heaven's door record, which was you know really really cool. Uh, now, who's playing guitar in the video where you guys in are in the video? Well, that was one of the things. Mark Cunningham, who is a friend of Paul Neal of TSO fame, you know, we were Paul's first project basically at Lieber and Krebs. Um, and Paul brought his friends into it, and Mark was one of them. When we were doing the album, it was basically, I, I played the solos on the songs I wrote, which were about six of them, and Mark played the two solos on the two songs he wrote. And then for Knocking on Heaven's Door, I, was, I gave it up to him to play. Right. And they were recording it, and it was the last solo of the album. And uh, we hadn't finished it. And so I had six and Mark had two and he was all bent out of shape. And the producer <laughs> and Paul O'Neill had started off producing the album. And then there is a big anti heavy metal thing at uh, MTV. So our label got scared. They switched producers to a guy named John Jansen, who's actually a great producer. He, he produced, um, you know, Cinderella, and he did the Meatloaf record. You know, he worked with Steinman. You know, he was, wasn't a production credit, but he he had a lot to do with that record. Um, he did Bonnie Tyler, Total Eclipse of the Heart. He came in, and he's like, why don't we have Mitch play that solo? I'm and, knocking on heaven's door. And, and I'm doing the solo, and, and basically... Uh, 
Mark got really upset and I wanted to keep the peace and I never really thought about things like who's going to be on the video. I just yeah. wanted the band. And, you know, had I thought that, I probably wouldn't have been so uh, so uh, nice about it. But um, I, I went, let me go in and work with him and help him get the solo. And that's what, you know, we did, you know. Yeah. I'm only asking because there's a funny moment where he flips the guitar around and hey, that seen... was his move. He 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 was doing that, you know, with Rick Derringer way back, you know, yeah, throwing the guitar around and catching, you know, 360. Yeah. And I've you know the, we've all seen the YouTube fails where it goes flying and in that case it literally would have flown into the Grand Canyon. Or Absolutely, you know, yeah. I never thought about that because I've had that happen to me once, um, and it was at Jones Beach with Cher, and. And the guitar, you know, there's a really deep backstage at Jones Beach. And yeah. I had enough time to, like, look, turn around with no guitar on me, <laughs> look at it flying, get my guitar tech's attention, point to the guitar, look back at my guitar tech, and... and we both go, oh, fuck, and, you know. Oh, shit. So you did this on stage with Cher. That's a big place in, like, Long Island or something, Yeah, right? exactly. And... You do this every night, but this one night you just it went flying, huh? Yeah, you know, just one night it went flying, but yeah, I mean the, the move would happen every night. Yeah, that's epic, man. I really wish YouTube was around back then. Whenever you did this, because uh, I know, would like for, to see for, that. For, for all the reasons we might wish it was uh, was around back then, there are plenty more that I'm happy it wasn't. <laughs> I go, I go, I, I, I know I God's on my side. I quit drinking before YouTube showed up. <laughs> what year was that share gig? Uh, that I did the whole, you know, the Heart of Stone tour. Uh, me and and um, Dave Amato would flip off on gigs for that for about two and a half years. Yeah, you're full of surprises. I mean, like, who would know that you did that? I mean, I always think a great musician does a yeah. huge amount of different styles and genres yeah. and yeah. has stories. What was it? What was she like as a leader or yeah, performer? I mean, it's that's history there, isn't it? I mean, she's around Phil Spector in all those days. I mean, she had Darlene Love singing with us, you know, and yeah. you're aware of her history, I'm sure. Dar I, I, Darlene Love was, you know, a, a featured singer on a lot of songs that she didn't get credit for back in the day, you know. Um, but she was on all those Phil Spector sessions. She was like, oh, you know. Wow. She, she also played Danny Glover's uh, wife in Lethal Weapons. Oh, but, really? Yeah. But she's a phenomenal singer. And, and I mean, you know, the, the amount of rock and roll history that you have with all the people they've, you know, been with. It's huge. That's cool, man. I mean, there's a another gig that I read that you did, which is just such a surprise. You used to play with Sam Kinison? I used to jam with Sam, yeah. That, that was... Uh, you know, he put a band together. I mean, he had Randy Hansen do it for a, a while, you know, and obviously did the video. I wish that I was in L.A. at that time, but I was out on the road. But, yeah, I mean, Sam could sing and play. <laughs> what was the hang like with this legendary... Oh, totally boring. I mean, you know, everyone would go home, go to bed by 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's what I want to hear. Yeah, no, it, it, 
It was every bit as crazy as you'd think it was. Have any any Sam stories off off stage that you remember or on stage? None that I'm going to share on a. <laughs> Got to give us a hint, Mitch. Uh, I mean, let's put it this way: I, I, I could be on tour, run into Sam in a city, the uh, different city, three or four days after I saw him somewhere else, and the yeah. party would still be the same party. <laughs> it's still going, huh? Yeah. <laughs> No sleep. Yeah, no, things were crazy back then. Now tell me about this. Is this about when you hooked up with Michael Shanker? Or? Okay, well, the Heaven thing you had, you know, it, it toured for the year, and even though we got a ton of airplay with Knocking on Heaven's Door, the, the album sales weren't there. Um, during this time, I was doing a lot of sessions. I did a Frankie Miller album. Uh, Simon Kirk was the drummer. Uh, Brian Robertson from Thin Lizzy was the other guitar player. Um, Chrissy Stewart from Spooky Tooth was the bass player. I did that record. I uh, played on the Faster Pussycat album. I played on uh, Babylon. I did the solo on that. record the right to rock um, i also played keyboards on aerosmith's classic live album um, wow. paul o'neill that was the next thing he produced after heaven he wanted uh, me to ghost some guitars which i wouldn't do i didn't mind ghosting keyboards because you know right. that wasn't like putting myself out there and not taking credit for it it's just you know doing that but it's like, a neat thing in retrospect now to have done it you know uh not that it, you know none of the guys from aerosmith had anything to do with the album um you know it was that they right. owed krebs and cbs uh, a couple of more records and and so they basically went into the vault and took out what tapes they had to work with to make some live stuff and uh that's what you got. They had to be fixed because most of the tapes were all from their less than stellar period. So there's yeah. a, a lot of studio trickery. It's interesting if you've ever recorded a live album. I, I'm actually on a live album with Stuart Ham, and I didn't even mm. know we were recording, which was great. Yeah, was you're a little more free. It was done, and it came out fine. Very minimal screw ups from any of us, you know. Uh, cool. Which is funny, but it's funny if you're actually going there like tonight we're recording. We got the truck out front. I hate that. That's like a lot of pressure. Yeah, I agree with you. (laughs) Yeah, I did that. I did one with the JGB at the House of Blues Sunset Strip, which has now been completely dozed to make room for a hotel. Ridiculous. Yeah, man. So what's this about? You're like hanging out at a hotel or something and you're Michael Shanker's there. Okay, so... (laughs) And did those records, and I did some demos with a singer named David Reese, who went on to be an accept in Bangalore Choir. And didn't have anything happening um, with that. And 
was hanging out with Pete Way, who was looking for a guitar player. We became friends and we're hanging out at the Oakwoods and I would be there pretty much all the time because the parties were fun. Now, what is the Oakwoods? Was it, 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 was a, it was like a... Uh, it was a cross between an apartment and a hotel. You know, come when you come into town to work for a month, you'd stay at the Oakwoods. You know, right. Woodman Oak, Oakwoods at this time. Let's see, the Demals lived there. Um, we were there. Pete Way was there. John Karabi was there with his band. Uh, it, it was a party twenty four seven. And and so I'm there, hanging out with. Uh, with Johnny D, the drummer from Wasted, and and um, Shanker and Robin show up, and Shanker sees them in the pool. He comes over and he says, "Hey, what are you doing?" And he goes, "Because he, he knew I did the keyboards, because he was there when I was doing some of the Aerosmith shit, and he was there when I did the Heaven stuff, and I played the keyboards on that." She says, well, you play keyboards. She goes, I need a guitar player, keyboard player. I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to play rhythm guitar all night. And he goes, well, you do all this tapping stuff. He goes, I don't do that, but I think people want to see that. Why don't you? He goes, I have a solo that that might work on. You want to come try it? I'm like, sure, when? He goes, well, what are you doing right now? Uh, swimming. Like, I'm in the pool. Excuse yeah. me, Mr. Shanker. <laughs> exactly. So, uh I get out, and he goes, is your guitar close? And I go, it's upstairs. He goes, well, go get it. So I got the guitar, and me and Michael drive over to Sound City, and Robin's there, and Andy Johns, and and um, Olaf, the manager. And Michael wow. and I walk in, and Michael says, this is Mitch. He's going to play the solo on Give Me Your Love. And they all look at Michael like he's out of his mind. And they leave the room for a half an hour and go and talk. And I'm like, uh-oh, this may not happen. But it, Now, you know, did Michael Shanker know you're playing from the... How did... Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, we jammed. Off. You know, we right. jammed when... Uh, you know, he was yeah. managed by Lieber and Krebs at the same time I was. And right. So, you know, he was hanging out in the studio when... We were recording. So what did he? And I was a huge. My two favorite guitar players growing up were Jimmy Page and Michael Shanker. So, you know, I I, I took advantage of you know being That's able to hang cool. out with Michael at the time. And what did he plug you into when you rock in that studio? Marshall that he had that he was using. You know, whether I couldn't even tell you whose or what, whether it was a rental, whether it was one of his. Right. And there's a great picture of you playing that guitar. Tell us about that guitar that you used on there. Oh, well, the Blade Runners. Um, I started using them for the Knocking on Heaven's Door video, and then I used it on all the sessions that I just told you I'd done. Yeah. It had those EMG-81s that just were, you know, I mean, compression for days. And, you know, I mean, yeah. whereas I don't really go for that now. I was in love with it at the time yeah right right so he played the first solo which is kind of a melodic thing yeah and then i came in and, and did that second bit
rad. <laughs> And then, so everybody comes back from lunch and what? Yeah, we we had the solo and I had the gig. Sweet. Yeah, it was killer. I mean, we spent the next year touring with Whitesnake, with Def Leppard, and with Rush. So hilarious. Tell yeah. me about some of those shows and oh, nights. They're, they're phenomenal. There's no better time to be doing that for yeah, a living. Was... I mean, it, it was. Uh, the shows were huge, and you know, the music was great. You know, it, it was fun. Any hilarious Spinal Tap moments from that tour of any of those bands, your band, or <laughs> any how of the long others? is this show? <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Um, oh man, there's, there's, I gotta figure out the ones that won't piss you off, won't piss anyone off. <laughs> I know. Well, you gotta um, write. You gotta write your autobiography. But, uh, you know, I. I I'll, I'll have to wait until I don't need a job from anyone. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, you know, Michael got up to a few interesting things. Let's see. The time he left all his clothes at the uh, hotel, he forgot to bring a, a bag to change and changed out of his stage clothes, and they got put away on the truck before he realized he didn't have anything to change into. So our, our hotel, this, we were playing in France, at an outdoor thing and we were about 40 minutes from our hotel so they sent someone to go get his clothes but our tour manager thought he could relax because you know michael was kind of trapped in the dressing room you know his back's to the video screens that are playing you know the uh feed from def leppard set someone asks him where michael is he goes oh he's stuck in the dressing room because you know the roadie had to go get his clothes and you guys turn around. Michael was in his underwear with two empty bottles of champagne in his hand, dancing on stage <laughs> with the band with Death Leopard while, uh, while uh, I, I believe it, they were doing some sort of taping for MTV in France or something. That's yeah. classic. That's yeah. way better than just a normal night. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but playing with Michael is great. I mean, it, it was a a game changer for me in learning how to play a guitar because you remember those Galleon Kruger amps, you know, the little yeah. metal ones that everyone would play through? They were so yeah. compressed you could plug anything in. They had like them. chorus on them and yeah. little solid state guitar amps. Yep. Yeah. And they sounded the same no matter what you plugged in through them, yeah. except that Michael always sounded better. You know, when he'd play through it and then he'd get done and I'd practice, you know, I'd plug my guitar and my guitar never sounded half as good as his. And one day I walk in to the guitar room and there's his guitar plugged in the app. I've got to see how. His guitar didn't sound half as good as mine. You know, it was his fingers making the difference. And once that, yep. that twigged, it's not just hitting the notes and looking for the pedal and the amp that give you your sound. Your hand makes that sound. Wow, I had a great realization. Yeah. Yeah, I had a realization like that once. In like 10th grade, we used to have a jazz funk class in this great guitar player named Jibu showed up and every day I'd be like man I can't play this this amp sucks this guitar is broken which it basically was no one can get a good guitar solo through this this kid shows up and he went on to play with like Tony 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 and Whitney Houston and mm -hmm. he's very well known around here and uh, Maze all these bands but 
he picks up that same thing and he just killed it every day. Yeah. It's like, that was a big realization in yeah. a different, totally different format than you. Yeah. Um, but... What about a great player? Or you got Ted Nugent, I think, talked about plugging into Eddie Van Halen stuff and realizing the same thing. Like, yeah. It's his fingers. And you can plug Eddie into anything and Eddie's going to sound like Eddie. Now, on your record, you also have one Edgar Winter playing sax. Tell us about... Well, I mean, I played with Edgar for about 10 years. Um, I didn't realize it was that long. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was there for a long time. Um, I did three albums with him. What's one of your favorite songs that you recorded with him? Oh, I can tell you for sure. Um show your love off of winter blues i mean it's to me it's the closest edgar's gotten to the white trash days you know i mean it's just a gospel type rock and roll tune It's got these really cool, you know, gospel yeah. piano changes over that groove. I just love watching you play rhythm. And you're just, just now, just for two seconds, you were just so in the pocket and in the zone, just feeling that. I just want you to know that I was feeling you feeling that. It, I'm glad you pick up on that. I think that's a, a big part of playing that just doesn't get, you know, a lot of great players who don't. You know, you, you sit there and you're waiting for the right drummer to make. It's how everyone plays the stuff together, you know, and and you all got to be aiming at that same bullseye to make it sound and feel like that. So whenever I play a part, I got, you know, there's a band going with me in my head. It's not just where the notes on the guitar. It's like, man, I'm I'm playing, you know, and, and I, I got a pretty good internal metronome. You know, and it's funny because I'm not good at counting when I play. If I'm thinking about counting... I, I screw up left and right. I mean, I don't really like odd odd times. I mean, if they're natural, like when Zeppelin yeah. does it, they're natural. They're odd times, right. but they feel right. And I, I, I'm convinced that, you know, at least for anything I like, no one ever figured out how to play something weird. They just did it because that's how they felt it. You know, going back to using music theory is not you know, a way to decide what to play, but a way to describe it. They're feeling those weird turnarounds. They don't have yeah. to think about it, exactly. you know. And and when I learn something like that, I try and get it to where I feel it and make myself feel it because I hate counting. You know, I, I like concentrating on making the whole piece of music, not, you know, worrying about what bar. Hey, music is about expression and 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 groove and feeling things you know people people don't decide to move you know their heads or you know tap their foot to a song the music makes them do that and the only way the music makes them do that is if you are putting that into the music i love it amen yeah well said so tell me more about your stint with Edgar Winter and those adventures. Oh, that that was the best finishing school you could ever go to. He's best musician I've ever played with, and 
You know, I mean, you, you think you know anything about music, hang out with Edgar. <laughs> he will show you there's more to learn. Really? What was some yeah, of the deep I mean, stuff that... You know, I mean, it was great because we, we would do a lot of uh, touring by, you know, bus and, and whatnot in a day. And we'd spend a, a, a lot of time listening to music. And, you know, it's just... I, I got to play with a lot of different people with Edgar. I got to jam with Dr. John, with Leon Russell, with Rick Derringer, with you know, with really, really great musicians. And it's just no way oh. you, you get. You have to get better when you play with people like that. You know, it's that's so, so great, man. My the way I discovered Edgar Winter was back in the day. There's no Shazam on your cell phone. There's no cell phone. You hear a song on the radio, you call the radio station, and I heard this incredible instrumental. And I called up the radio station, and yeah, I don't even think that my voice had changed yet. I'm like, what was the name of that song you just played? And they, they, they were totally fucking with me. They're like, oh, you mean that Eagles song? No, after that. No, you mean that Pink Floyd? No, before that. Like, they were like, oh, we just don't know. Sorry, kid. They totally knew, but I eventually figured out that it was Frankenstein. We gotta play a little. Do you know the title, how that title came about? No, I don't. Originally, you know, Rick Derringer was producing the album that they were doing at the time called They Only Come Out at Night. And they recorded a 20-minute jam of a thing called the Double Drum Song, you know, because of the drum solo, which is a trade-off of the drums and tabalis. And so anyway, when they're listening back to it, Rick says, you know, there's a song in this jam. He says, we well, can edit this down to about a three-minute song and put it on the album. So Edgar and Rick and the uh, engineer are just chopping up you know it's literally splicing tape and putting it together and so there's tape hanging all all over the room in in 800 (laughs) different sections because this is a 20 minute jam they're condensing down to three minutes chuck ruff walks in the drummer what the hell's going on in here and they explain that they're you know cutting the song up and editing it so He's like, whoa, man, that's crazy. It's just like Frankenstein. And I love it. That's, that's great. how the, how the uh, song got named. Well, we got to play a little Frankenstein. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, I, I mean, the way I'm playing it, I do my own version now yeah. where I play pretty much most of Edgar's parts uh, from the synthesizer yeah. on the guitar. Oh, yeah, cool. I mean, like even...
I'm just guessing. Was too much fun. That's pretty good. We're, you're I'm gonna have to come down when I start playing on Sundays and jam this with me. Uh, we're gonna start oh, a Sunday uh, sweet thing up next month down here with a shit hot band. So yeah, at a place called the Standing Room. Uh, I think sweet. we're gonna start on March 18th or something like that. Yeah, I'd love to. I'll actually learn it. I'm just kind of going yeah, off memory there. Oh, please do. Memory you sound there, great so. on it, man. <laughs> I, I love playing guitar with you. He's, he's, oh, you thanks. sound awesome, man. Nice words coming from you, man. So, yeah, anytime. So, shit. Well, that was groovy, man. What a great song. So, yeah. So, um, what happens after Edgar Winter? Well, yeah, I mean, from Shanker, we, we missed a whole bunch of interesting stuff. Please, I, I, <laughs> You know, um, I ended up joining Dave Lee Ross Band for a little while. Oh, no way. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Luke is the one who uh, recommended me uh, to Bizonette. Me and Luke were jamming at a, a thing at the Roxy in 89. It, it was a celebration of the Beatles' first, you know, the show on Ed Sullivan. And what's really weird is I thought I was going to get asked to join Whitesnake. I wanted to be, and I, I just I never got the call. And I heard, you know, Vivian, when he got fired, told me he thought I might be asked and hoped that I was. And... That never happened, and somebody finally calls up and says, hey, you hear who's in Whitesnake? No. Mm -hmm. Steve Vai. And I'm like, ah! And anyway, uh, not long after that, I got a call from Pete Angelus, went down and played some songs with Dave and and rehearsed with Dave for a couple weeks. But, you know, he, he was going in a direction that was not guitar friendly and i i'm not a good poker player um and i suppose the expression that came over my face when i'm thinking about following eddie van halen and steve Vai 
into a band that was basically doing songs that were more like off of Crazy from the Heat than a Van Halen record. Right. I, I just, I probably didn't. Uh, yeah. uh, Greg Bisnett says I said some things that I <laughs> that I don't remember saying. I remember thinking them. Uh, I don't think I would have said them, but he swears that I did. Right. You know, I, and I think Dave saw the look on my face. I mean, they weren't Dave's songs. They were songs yeah. that Dave was considering. I mean, obviously, you're not yeah. going to tell a mother her baby is ugly, but if it's another baby, <laughs> you know, he can be a little bit more honest, but not in this case. <laughs> I hear you, man. So, uh, yeah, that didn't end up happening. Um, and from there, I ended up, you know, doing this share thing for a couple of years and left that because, uh, you know, I wanted to get my own band together. I had a band called Bad Boys that was really a, a pretty cool band with uh, Paul Shortino and Sean McNabb. And, uh, you know, we, we were having a hard time getting signed and Paul's interest kind of started waning. And we wanted to look for another singer and... And I, I saw Ralph Sainz playing his very first band, Long Gone, and I thought he was a superstar. And so, uh, you know, we, uh, I asked him to come in and join Bad Boys, and he, he wouldn't leave Long Gone. So I ended up joining Long Gone just to work with Ralph. Sweet. And then and then go, hey, just rehearse with my guys one day and tell me if we want to come back here. And, uh, you know, we, we ended up... Uh, Forming Seven Percent Solution out of Bad Boys. Um, Sweet. Re recorded yeah. the tracks. Those are I great tracks. Yeah. Oh, aren't nice. they cool? Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm really proud of those songs. You know. Um, I love your, uh, like you're doing a little hybrid stuff there, pick yeah. and then plucking with the other fingers. Yeah, yeah you're, you're, <laughs> you're killing me the other night doing that, that sound check. Show yeah, me some yeah. more of that. almost like you're doing some puffs in there yeah that's what i <laughs> yeah we were just noodling at sound check and then <laughs> yeah yeah that's cool man and uh cool band seven yeah. percent solution and of course ralph of steel panther fame yeah one see. of the greatest tickets on if you can ever see steel panther in la it's you got to do that and at least he, once <laughs> he was a rock star then he's still a rock star and he has the funniest shit what did he come out what does he say he says i'm not a fat david lee roth people i'm a skinny bread michaels <laughs> <laughs> he's got oh no, those guys are just comedy yeah no they're great ah, i mean great. it's yeah. funny you know i i think that comedy helped them 
do what they wanted to do because you know people love that yeah. music but they're too cool to say that they they do exactly. so if, you know i think they uh they really hit on something there well a lot of people get their news from like john oliver or the onion yeah right they get it filtered through humor it's a yeah. different way of getting it when you're when the mainstream becomes tiresome yeah it's a nice alternative channel <laughs> there steel you panther go. is a great channel to get that music from yep uh, and they do it great i mean russ is a great guitar player too oh, he's a monster so, yeah. yeah so that's cool awesome. so you know from uh, there you know i uh i ended up going and doing a little tour of japan with carmine apiece and tony franklin sweet and uh you know basically it was a blue murder tour that didn't happen because sykes fired carmine and tony um and kelly keeling who was supposed to sing on that second blue murder record so the four of us took those dates we couldn't obviously call it blue murder um but we did six songs from their record and did some songs off my upcoming solo album at the time because i was just getting ready to record wire to wire and um you know, we did some shit from the firm, from Beck Boger to Peace, you know, and called it Super Rock Session. Um, toured Japan, and Carmine was coming home to play with Edgar Winter. And I'm like, dude, if he ever needs a guitar player, he's one of my heroes. And two days into their tour, I got a call to come out and, you know, fill in for their guitar player. And Well, why did he... He had some family stuff go that had to happen, and you know, and it just worked out that I didn't leave for ten years after that. <laughs> you moved in, and yeah. So, uh, yeah. but that that was uh, that's how we wound up with Edgar, and that's what I did up until two thousand and one, and you know, I had started racing cars along the way, and. It, in 99 i started teaching part-time and then that became a little bit more than part-time in 2000 in 2001 edgar didn't have a lot of dates on the book and we're getting into april and I could work every single weekend teaching. You're teaching race car driving, so you're yeah. talking about and, not and guitar playing. The only rub was I had to, you know, I had to uh, book my teaching things two months in advance. So if Edgar didn't have gigs that were two months in advance, I, you know, I couldn't commit to them, and right. that became a problem. And and there was really no one else I wanted to play with. I didn't want to just go out and get a gig at that point anymore just to get a gig because I could earn a living playing with race cars, which I loved. And and I had a deal to, you know, that would allow me to race for, you know, as as part of that teaching. So, it, you know, it, it was a no-brainer. Um, I just took a couple of years and did that and and didn't, re- you know, I mean, there were, I did a couple of short, tours you know like with bullet boys you know and uh xyz but nothing real serious uh you know i just only did them for a couple weeks um filling in um and i started you know i mean i always played guitar but for me you know and and i was actually yeah. playing more 
acoustic than electric. And uh, I lived lived right a block away from Redondo Pier, and I started playing on Sundays when I started missing playing electric. I started uh, playing on Sundays there, and, and... you know, it was just like when I first started playing guitar, you know, is were you in a little bit of coming out of a jaded period, or were you, yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I, oh. I, I kind of, I don't even feel like I was the same person. That, that whole time changed a lot, and and it's it's funny because it was really neat to kind of come out and start playing again, and I was singing a little bit and. And doing all these things, and and I had none of the pressure I would have put on myself if it's Mitch from Michael Shank, you know, I was just some bozo playing a bar at the beach, and I could do what I wanted, but I had the knowledge of, you know, 30 years of, you know, playing guitar. And you're still playing for the love of it. Yeah, and and, and so it, it was like, it became a really cool thing and you know I, I mean i started teaching less and started playing more and that led to some recording gigs which led to some live gigs which led to some touring and i ended up eventually going out with asia again in 2008 i replaced guthrie govan there yeah right so i see we, we got guthrie we, <laughs> we got randy we got ingve <laughs> yeah yeah um but um, did that, and, and then Lita Ford asked me to tour with her. And, um, I did that for about five years. You know, we we went out with yeah. Leopard and, and Poison in 2012, and that was you know for pretty much that whole year with those guys. That was a killer. It's been pretty fun thing to be on and. And then uh, from there, I ended up joining Sweet. And yeah, which I've been doing that since 2014. And uh, now our brother Polly Z singing with you. Yeah, just, well, just, literally, that's brand new. You know, Joe had some commitments with Heaven and Earth that he wanted to focus Joe on. Joe Retta. Yeah, yeah. And brilliant singer. Yeah. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, Polly is doing a great job. That's awesome, man. You know, doing that. And, uh, you know, we do the uh, Ultimate Jam on Tuesdays. That's been going for three years now, so that's nice. Yeah, it's a really great hang, man. Yeah, no. It, and once you go it, there, so whiskey on Tuesday nights, free admission. Yep. And you get to see Mitch. I'll be and there. gang. So, and, and if you're lucky enough, you'll see Mitch and Jude at the same time. <laughs> if Jude is lucky enough. Yes, that's right. <laughs> So yeah, I love that. What does it set me free? There's a great video. You just oh. stretching out on that yeah. song by the Sweet. Yeah, that's man. I I love. I'll tell you what, and I'm not just saying this because it's the band I'm playing with now, but of all the stuff we've talked about, I have to say the Sweet set list is my absolute favorite one to play from top to bottom. There's not a stinker on the list. It's, it's you know, really? yeah, and you right. got to know what I'm talking about when you play for other people. There's always that song. Uh, that's coming up in the set that you're going, why do we have to play this damn song? Not Jefferson Starship? I don't have that, luckily. <laughs> ah, good. Well, they, you, you know, yeah. but you but know. I know what I'm, you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I don't have them with, uh, don't have them with Sweet. They're just badass. That's great. I definitely want to see you guys play with the Sweet. Uh, 
hopefully we'll have something at the Canyon Club coming up. Mm. Yeah, you guys are playing a lot. Did you guys just play at this? Don't put that away. Oh. <laughs> I got to make Mitch work a little bit more before we close this out. Oh, one last burst of fingeries there, folks. Oh, yeah. We don't play without these. <laughs> no. Uh, did you guys just play at this place called BLK Live in Arizona with a yeah, swimming it's pool? A, it's awesome. Yeah, we just played there. It's like a pool right in the yeah, middle it, of it, everything. I, I, miraculously, I don't know about your show, but nobody fell in. I was waiting. I was <laughs> yeah, waiting. We just played there. Arizona, Scottsdale. Yeah, people showed up. They know what they're doing, man. It was, yeah, it was yeah. a fat crowd. It, it's a killer. I mean, and they'd had, like, great shows. Like, I saw three or four different shows at that club yeah. that were in the same two-week period that we played there. So, And you're right. Now that I think about it, I did see Starship on... Yeah, we were there just a couple days before you. Yeah. No, I, I remember seeing your picture now. I was going to leave some gnarly graffiti you guys to see there like in the dressing room in that one cabana but i was like no this place is too nice yeah yeah they they haven't gotten to the it's not cool enough yet to write on the walls someone it just takes one person to start it off you know and then then yeah. it, then the floodgates pour open and everybody's sharpie hits the wall <laughs> yeah so thanks mitch so much for being on the show man my pleasure man this, this was a blast <laughs> so maybe we can take it out on a little bit of Set me free or something. Let's go. Start, start that shit off. Okay, I, I, <laughs> I'll do the ascending uh, run and come in on that B. Both hands over the neck, folks. Now his left hand is over the neck. Thanks for listening, everybody. No guitar is safe. My name is Jude Gold. We've passed a million listens, and we really appreciate it. If you like the show and you want to help it out, hit subscribe. Tell a friend about it. Thanks to Zoom for the H6 recorder that I used. Keep it alive to your 95, everybody. No guitar is safe.